Blog Talk Radio. We all have inner work to do. Real life, real faith is an opportunity to connect with Cheryl and her guests as they take you on a journey to help you become your authentic self. Whether you need help goal setting, developing coping skills, or connecting with a power greater than yourself, Cheryl is here to walk with you on your path to personal transformation. Get inspired as Cheryl lets you become an active participant or just sit back and glean from the messages delivered. It's Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Real Life, Real Faith. This is your host, Cheryl Lacey Donovan, and we have an exciting show scheduled here for you tonight. We have none other than all of the authors from The Soul of a Man 2, Make Me Want to Holler, as well as all of the authors from No Test, No Testimony, Evidence of God's Faithfulness. These are two anthologies that we believe are going to transform lives and change the way people think about themselves and their future purpose and destiny. Um, These two books will be coming out in December of 2015, just in time for the Christmas holidays. So we want to make sure that you head on over to Amazon.com and get your copy of both of these anthologies, The Soul of a Man 2, Make Me Want to Holler, and No Test, No Testimony, Evidence of God's faithfulness. We'd also like to remind you on tonight that you can connect with us at Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan on Facebook, as well as Real Faith Mag. That's Real Faith Mag as a magazine on Twitter. We also have a website that you can meet us at, www.realliferealfaithmedia.com. Um, tonight we have something a little bit special for you. We're also simulcasting in our, on our event page at Facebook. So if you saw the event page that we posted for tonight's broadcast for the virtual release party, you can connect with us there, send your questions, send congratulations out to the authors and publishers. You can also go on tweetchat.com and enter the hashtag anthologyparty. That's hashtag anthologyparty. And I think one of the first things we'll do right now is to go ahead and tell you if you're the first person to go in and send us a message there at tweetchat.com, you can win a prize. And our Elisa Gabriel, who happens to also be our producer, can let us know what that prize is later on in the broadcast. So tonight is going to be a commercial-free uh, broadcast, radio broadcast. We uh, decided that because we have so many people here with us on tonight that we would uh, not have any commercials tonight so that we can get through everybody and be able to speak with all of the contributors to the anthology. So without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and introduce tonight Mark Lacey. I believe he is on the line. We happen to share similar last names, at least that's my maiden name anyway, and I've had the pleasure of meeting Mark on several occasions and I'm very familiar with his body of work, so I'm sure that what he brings to The Soul of a Man 2 is something that you do not want to miss out on. So, Mark, welcome to the show, and I think I'm going to just start by asking you what you think this particular anthology is going to do for the people that read it. Well, first of all, uh, good evening, and uh, it's a blessing to be here, and uh, good to hear your voice once again, and um Wow, where do I begin? Uh, This particular anthology, uh, I think, is going to hit home a lot quicker on many of the readers uh, simply because, you know, we're we're basically telling the real deal. Mm -hmm. And um, I think each uh, particular story will uh, definitely bear elements that uh, 
everybody can relate to. Um, you know, we're cutting cutting straight to the chase, uh, getting down, as they say, to the nitty-gritty, and uh, talking about some, some real-time, real-life issues here uh, that, um, you know, whose elements can, can, can certainly be applicable uh, to, to anyone, whether, whether you're some rich person born with a silver spoon or whether you're considered to be the average Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all people. People go through things. And we can all relate to one another. Mm-hmm. Now I know it's important for Elisa to, I'm sorry, Elisa to um, make sure that positive African American male voices were being heard because of all of the um, all of the different things that have been going on in our society right now. We're we're seeing a lot of uh, things with police versus African American males and. Just, just, just a plethora of things that are really turning things upside down right now. And I knew that it was important to, to her that she utilized some uh, strong African American males that had something to say. How do you think that this book could impact what what we're seeing right now, especially in light of things like Black Lives Matter? And I just have to say, for me, um, one of the things I, you know I'm looking for in that entire movement is what the end game is, because right now I'm not sure that I'm seeing any type of strategy or any type of uh, 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 things that are occurring to help get us to where we're actually changing policy or changing mindset. So how, how do you think that Soul of a Man 2 is going to impact that? Well, first of all, I, I do feel that um, each of these stories is certainly a reflection of um, – a positive African-American male role model who knows mm-hmm. how to write and who knows how to write well, who mm-hmm. uh, definitely um, debunks the stereotypes that are out there. And uh, to draw a parallel to the, 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 the current climate in which we're living, um, mm-hmm. you know, African-American youth are, are often uh, in the news um, on the opposite side of, of the, the police. And, uh, you know, there have been, within the past two, three years, there have been a lot of uh, severe, um, there have been a lot of, a lot of cases where, uh, where, you know, law enforcement uh, acted in a, in a severe fashion uh, to whatever the, the youth may have done or said or what have you. And that seems to have like a, a, a rippling effect. Uh, in society today, and to tie into what you said, I think we're living in a new age of enlightenment. We're living in a a renaissance age, a new age of Aquarius where people are forced to open their eyes. The the, the public cannot turn its back on what's going on, and uh, but regarding how the program is actually going in the end game. Uh, intelligence always has to be applied. I mean, you're going to have some people out there who who basically are known for ruining it for everybody, and this is where the focus needs to be on those people who are actually in it, who are actually in it for the long haul, uh, not just um, just to protest, uh, not just to get fired up, and not just to go rah rah rah. No, this is going to take. Uh, this is going to be a long, tedious process, and in order mm-hmm. for change to be made, 
uh, continuous sacrifice is going to have to be made. It's not, you know, uh, you can get a bunch of people all the time out there to to hold up some some signs and to beat down some doors, and, and you know, sometimes that's necessary for attention to be brought to some certain things. However, in order for um, the seed to be planted properly, and in order for the uh, change, the needed change, to be embraced effectively. Uh, people are going to have to rely, we're all going to have to rely on faith, uh, cooler heads, and also mm-hmm. uh, putting our minds together. And it all, to me, it all boils down to uh, the education aspect of it. And mm-hmm. I think that Soul of a Man Part 2 makes me want to holler is certainly a reflection of that. Okay. You know, I, I agree with that, Mark. I, I think that... Um, it, it has to be a lot more than just the protests and the rallies and the, you know, different things like that that, that seem to go on all the time. We've been doing that, uh, in my mind, since the 1960s. And, and while we have come a long way, I don't, you know, I, I think that we still have a lot further to go than what we may have originally anticipated. And what I'm wondering is, as we're talking about education and those kinds of things, how, you know, as authors, you know, one of the things that I really believe that, that is uh, a part of what we're supposed to be doing is helping to change the narrative. And do you think by writing or contributing or being a part of something like The Soul of a Man 2 or No Test, No Testimony, that those are steps in the right direction to make that happen so that we can begin to create uh, new dialogue? And, you know, cause I don't want to bash any other genres, but, I'm you know, some of the stuff that I'm seeing – I, I just wonder sometimes if if it does not somehow play into the types of issues that we're we're seeing take place in our communities, and and will these books like these help to kind of change that narrative and move us forward? Well, uh, I do feel that um, as writers, of course, the narrative is a reflection of our perception of reality. And uh, when you think about the power of the media, the media creates narratives. Uh, The media uh, decides who they want to be the darling and who they want to be the goat. And Mm -hmm. so my thing is that is the the nature of uh, the the current age beast. And with that being the case, uh, when in Romans we have to do as the Romans do, we have to make sure that as, um, you know, African-American male role model authors, um, whatever we put out there has got to chisel away at those negative stereotypes and thus build a, a, a positive narrative uh, to go on. Because, again, everything is all about the narrative. When you think about politics, it's all about the narrative. When you think of... Um, when you think of sports and sports marketing, it's all about the narrative. And in this current age of uh, social media with, with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, so on and so forth, um, when, when an image is put out there, it can take off like wildfire. So that's why it's very important for us uh, to put positive images out there and let them take off uh, like wildfire to dispel any of these negative stereotypes and and to um, uh, convey to the public that uh, 
you know, it's not everything that you see on the TV screen is not what it's cracked up to be. You know, you see a frame of something that happens that does not tell what the whole movie is about. Right. And, and so right. I think um, you know that, and that is a tool that the media uses. And I think it's all. It also needs to be a tool that we as writers uh, use as well. Well, Mark, I thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know that you have some other things that you have to get to. Uh, before you go, I just want you to uh, let the the listeners know how they can contact you or get more information about some of the other projects you may be working on. Okay, sure. Uh, please visit my website. That's marklacy.com. That's M-A-R-C-L-A-C-Y.com. Or you can hit me up on Facebook, facebook.com slash M-A-R-C-L-A-C-Y. My fan page is Mark Lacey Spoken Word and Writing. Uh, Twitter handle is Mark underscore Lacey. And uh, also on LinkedIn as well uh, under Mark Lacey. So I uh, look forward to uh, connecting with you all in the future, no doubt. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. Thank you very much. Have a nice night. Absolutely. You too. So that was Mark Lacey. He is one of the contributors to Soul of a Man 2, Make Me Want to Holler. And right now I'm going to have to defer to Elisa Gabriel, who I know is on the line tonight, and have her to let me know the other people who are available to speak with me. I am in a location where it is difficult for me to um, be able to see the board. So we're having a few technical difficulties. But at least if you just let me know who's there, then I can go ahead and speak with them. Okay. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm so excited about the show tonight. So next up will be Shamarian Bradley from No Test, No Testimony. And right after her will be Shaquem Edmonds from The Soul of a Man Too. Great, great. Y'all, that was a big thing for Alyssa. Y'all need to be out there clapping it up for her. She doesn't do a whole bunch of the in-the-front work, but I tell you what, I think that she is more than capable, and I'm glad to have her here helping me to co-host tonight. So Shamaria Bradley, my goodness, she is, um, well, I don't know. I don't know if there are even any words to, to say um what a trooper she is and how supportive she is for uh, not only um, – not only myself, but also for Imani Faith Publishing and, and uh, with No Test, No Testimony. So, Shamarian, thank you so much for being with us here tonight. It is an honor to be with you. So I give uh, God glory for Elisa stepping to the front on tonight. woo <laughs> <laughs> So, listen, how important I, was it for you to be uh, a participant in uh, No Test, No Testimony? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it is just a phenomenal experience. It is um, just an amazing platform to be able to um, tell my story. It's just uh, not only to be a part of the anthology, but to be uh, in the presence of such phenomenal authors that we have together. I mean, these women add so much to my life, and I'm just, like, very thankful and and for you as well, Cheryl Lacey Donovan, I'm, I'm very grateful. So I'm just thankful that God has allowed this opportunity for me to uh, uh, come from the background, so to speak, when it comes down to my own personal story. You know, I'm out there uh, telling of his goodness all the time, but when it comes down to being able to uh, tell my story, it's totally different, and I'm very grateful. 
Well, you know what, since you, since you did mention that, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your story in no, uh, no Test, No Testimony. You, don't, you know, you don't have to go through the whole thing, but just give us sort of a synopsis of what we can expect from what you bring to the table. Right, right. So um, my uh, testimony is, is uh, a desperate determination, and uh, just taking it back from childhood, it was a, a personal testimony from an experience that uh, I went through as a child, the things that I went through as a child that caused me so much trouble in my uh, teen years, it, well, starting in my childhood, in my teen years, and then on to an adult. And people really don't believe that if you have not been healed from things that happened to you in the past, that it will definitely carry on, carry over into your future. And if you're not careful and not healed from those things, then they can cause you to be in a place that's not pleasing to God. The help of God and, and, and finding out who I am through Christ Jesus, I was able to uh, overcome so many obstacles, so many um, stop signs and pitfalls and many other things that I had fallen into. Um, and I was able to desperately be determined to be healed and delivered from the things of my past. So I'm super excited. I, I believe that uh, my testimony, and as well as the others, will be one that will reach many and it will be a blessing. Well, I just kind of wanted to put it out there so everybody could get kind of a, a, a sort of an understanding of what your testimony is about. It dealt a lot with uh, bullying and how those you know, the harsh words and, and the, the sneers and the jeers and the, the heckles and things like that sort of impacted you as you were growing up and caused you to find yourself in in some situations that um, probably had, had that not taken place, you would not have been in. But in spite right. of all of that, you were able to find a way to, you know, find your way back to God and to allow him to get into some of those secret places and, right. and heal you and get you to where you are now. So I just wanted everybody to know that, you know, with your, your particular testimony, it deals directly with bullying, which is something that a right. lot of people find themselves dealing with. So it's a it's a great, great testimony. And, and what do right. you think people will get out of the book? I believe that people out of the entire book, oh, my goodness, um, wow. I think that many people will be able to look at the pages and see that God is still in a miracle. He is still a miracle-working God. I believe that people who have never picked up the Bible before, because sometimes we think that everybody was raised and reared in the church and that they will be able to, that they were the ones who were reading the Bible and know scriptures, and that's not necessarily the case. I believe that this this anthology will be, will bring someone to truly know what God is capable of doing because they not only will they be able to just hear the things, but they will be able to read real stories, real life, real faith stories um, of people who have gone through many different hardships in life and how they have overcome. And and I believe that someone will pick up the book and be able to read it and say, hey, this is me. This is my story. This is my testimony. Somebody's telling my story. And they will be able to see, well, you know, if God did it for them, 
I know he can do the same thing for me. So I believe that a lot of healing, a lot of deliverance, I believe it's going to bring people to the real right now. This is my situation. This is what I'm in. This is what I'm going through. Uh, this is what I have gone through. And they're going to be able to see that that, that deliverance is available. That's, that's what I believe. Yeah, I, I like to say that I believe that they're going to be able to find their truth between those pages. Yes. Because I think that there is something in it for everybody, for, for pretty much mm-hmm. every situation that you can think of, imaginable, mm-hmm. that could possibly happen and throw you off track. So before you go tonight, I just wanted you to um, give people the opportunity to find out how they can contact you or connect with you. Oh, my goodness. I'm all over the place, just all over the place. Uh, you can reach me at sbradleyministries at yahoo.com. You can reach me on my fan page, Shamarian Bradley. Uh, I am on Facebook under Shamarian Bradley as well, on Twitter at M-I-N-S-H-A-Y-E-B, B on Twitter as well. So I am just elated to be a part of this, and I thank God for you, and I thank God for all the contributing authors. I can't wait to pick up some of them. I'm going to read that myself. Amen. <laughs> I'm excited. She, she also has a website, y'all, com. So make sure you go out there and, and visit her there as well. Thank you, Shay, for being with us tonight. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Everybody, this is Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan, and we are speaking with the contributors for The Soul of a Man 2, Make Me Want to Holler, as well as the contributors to No Test, No Testimony. We want to remind you that on tonight in particular, you can go to tweetchat.com, hashtag anthology party, and send your encouraging words and messages to all of the contributors. Um, also, if you are the first person to send out a message, you are in line to receive a prize from Peace in the Storm Publishing and Imani Faith Publishing. So make sure you go over there to tweetchat.com, hashtag anthology party. Make sure you also visit us at www.reallife.com realfaithmedia.com connect with us on Facebook at Real Life Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan and also on Twitter at Real Faith Mag Real Faith Mag as in magazine we, now, next up I believe we said it is Shaquem Edmonds now this is somebody that is very new to the uh, Peace and the Storm family one of the newest authors out there for our uh, original publishing company, and we're so excited to have him here on the broadcast tonight. I believe this is Shaquem's first sign. So welcome, Shaquem. Thank you. Good evening. I'm I'm blessed to be able to, to have this opportunity. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. So why don't you tell us what your particular contribution was to Peace in the Storm Publishing. I'm sorry, not Peace in the Storm Publishing, but Soul of a Man too. Well, when I was initially um, presented the opportunity, which I'm grateful for, I I didn't know how to approach it. But it was just at the time it came perfect in my life where I was going through some personal things, and I was able to tap into some of those emotions that I had, and it was dealing with some things on the level of as far as what the young brothers are going through now and what our our, our heritage and ancestors have gone through. So I was uh, I was I was determined to to present my piece with with defining our purpose. Sometimes people when, when people see the blessing and the calling on your life and the purpose for your life, they will 
he'll try to stop that. Um, it's just like in the Bible when, when Pharaoh told him to go out and kill all the children that was under two years old, you know, uh, well, the men that was under two years old. Uh, he knew that there was a purpose uh, uh, for Jesus' life. And I think that a lot of times as we look at this thing in the news and we don't really look at it from a spiritual aspect, sometimes we just look at it from the humane aspect of their killing our people. But when we look at the spiritual aspect of it, the same thing happened back in the biblical days. So I think that when people see the calling on your life, they will try to stop it and they will try to put any kind of roadblock or any scenario in your life to 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 stop you from fulfilling your purpose. So that's the piece I wanted to bring to Soul of a Man too. I wanted to bring that piece where sometimes the reason that things are happening is because people see the calling of God that has that God has on your life. So now, um, is that something that is um, specific to you? Is it something that perhaps you have experienced where you've had um, certain roadblocks and obstacles placed in your way specifically because perhaps people have seen those calls? Uh, yes, ma'am. It, it's happened several times uh, throughout my life, and, and it, it was kind of because as I started writing, there was a time when I was only about 16 or 17 years old, and um, I had got harassed by the uh, local uh, law enforcement there in the city that I lived in, North Carolina. And it's, it's, it's amazing that 20-some years later we're still dealing with this situation. By the grace of God, you know, they didn't take my life, but they roughed me up a little bit. And at that time, it, it was a, a, a thing of where people were kind of hesitant to speak out against that kind of thing. And um, my mom and I, uh, we did go down and file a complaint. Uh, the chief of police called me and said that the officer had been reprimanded. So. As, as I saw these things happening in the media, I could understand what these young brothers were going through because at the time I was a uh, standout athlete in high school, and I, I think that um, that drew a lot of attention to me. And, again, that led back to people seeing the blessing and, and, and your talents, and they want to preve- prevent you from getting to where you are destined to be. Mm-hmm. So what do you think when people read Soul of a Man 2 make me want to holler. What do you think they will get out of it or from it? Well, there are so many contributors that, that I think bring such a blessing to the project. Um, I think it's going to touch on every level. Um, I, at, 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 there was a time I, I wrote a little blog myself uh, a couple years ago where I felt like there was a disconnect between the youth and our older people. Um, and I think this is going to cover all the, the, the echelons and levels of the, the, the black community, especially uh, since it's geared towards men. Um, I think it's going to touch us all. And that's, that's what's important for me. Um, as I was writing, I thought about some things, and, and there were some things I put in there, I thought all the way back to, to, to when Martin Luther King was was, was standing up for, for our rights. And, and then here we are today still battling some of those things, but we are progressing. And, I mean, we look at it and say, okay, we got a black president. But, you know, sometimes what's on the surface, you got to get a little deeper to see the true meaning of what's going on. And, and sometimes they're, they're, uh, the people will give you something to make you think that you're progressing, but you're not. But we've got to believe in our purpose and know our purpose and understand what these people are trying to do to our destiny. Mm-hmm. I think you said something very poignant when you said that the connection that's going to be drawn between the older African-American males and the younger African-American males. I know that there Absolutely. is uh, a verse in the Bible, in, in Titus 2, I believe it is, where it talks about the older women teaching the younger women and the older men teaching the younger men and just basically bridging that gap. 
and uh, being able to have communication between the two. How how important do you think that is, um, especially with regard to what we're seeing happening right now in our community? Because I know that um, you have the younger people thinking that, you know, they know everything and that the older uh, foot soldiers, if you will, haven't been effective in, in, in really bringing us to where we need to be. And then you have the older ones saying, well, you know, y'all don't know everything and there are some things that you can learn from us and the tactics that we use in the organization. Other young African American males to participate in the actual process. Um, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I have. I'm not as old as some. I'm, I'm not as young as a lot of people. But I, I found myself. Uh, conducting introspection. Um, I had to look at it. There, I live in Atlanta, and Atlanta is a very uh, diverse place to live. Um, you, you have so many uh, mixtures of people and cultures and everything here. Um, so a lot of times when I'm, I'm riding through certain neighborhoods or I'm certain places, I felt, even even as I, I'm, I'm you know, just approaching 40, I felt that there was a disconnect between myself and the 18-year-old's or the 19-year-olds, and even younger, that you see uh, around the community. Um, they, you know, I didn't realize that they considered me old, and that was a, a culture talking a reality <laughs> check for me because I'm like, I, I'm not that old. And then I right, looked at right. myself, looked at the people who were 70 and 80 years old, and I said, there's, there's a, a missing piece here. There's something missing here because – what happens is the older guys don't want to talk to the guys like myself because, you know, um, they don't feel that we can connect to the struggle that they went through. And then myself, I feel like um, that possibly at one point in time there was no connection between the guys that were young, 20, 25 years younger than myself. But the reality to it is we're all the same. We all have the same desires. We're just doing it at a certain level. you got the tech-savvy generation now. So you've got to take advantage of those pieces. And I think that what uh, myself and the older gentlemen, they need to reach down to me so that I can reach down to the younger ones. And we've got to strengthen ourselves and educate ourselves and, and keep drilling into our brothers and sisters that, hey, you have a purpose. God created you for a purpose. And one of the pieces that I, I narrowed in on in, in my piece of the soul of the man was I wanted to speak directly to the felons. And um, recently mm. I went home to um to my grandmother's funeral and several of my cousins were talking to me and their heads were down and they were like well you know I got a felony and you know but I wanted to explain something to it's not over yeah you got to strike yeah. against you just got to work a little bit harder and where people are not affording you opportunities or jobs you got to create one whether it be going Absolutely. to wash cars whether it be making you getting you a food truck whatever the circumstance is you still got to battle that because that's what people want to influence in your head and put in your head that it's over for you and it's not Yes, yeah. yeah. and that that's part of, of the struggle is getting people to recognize that and understand that even though, you know, these strikes are against you and, and these, these obstacles are there, that does not mean that they cannot be overcome. You just have to exactly. figure out, and, and it, a lot of times it takes, you know, just reaching deep down inside because mm -hmm. another scripture that comes to mind is that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more mm -hmm. than you can ever ask or think according to all what's already on the inside of you. But you have to be able to connect to what's on the inside of you to get to that exceeding abundance. 
and and sometimes I think that's the that's the missing link. But Shakim, I thank you so much for being with us here on tonight. And before you go, I just want you to let our listeners know how they can contact you or connect with you. Okay, thank you for having me. They can reach me at on Facebook at Shakim Edmonds. I also have a fan page on Facebook at Author Shakim Edmonds. You can reach me on Twitter at, at Shakim Edmonds. And you can reach me on reach me on LinkedIn at Shakim Edmonds. And I also have a website where I also do my inspirational blogs and, and I promote um the Peace in the Storm authors um books on, on my website and that is Shakim Edmonds dot com. That's S H S K A H excuse me, I'm messing it up. S H A K M uh-huh. <laughs> I said, I'm yeah. gonna spell your name right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm sorry. S H K S H A K E I M Shakeem Edmonds dot com. Shakeem Edmonds dot com. Thank you, Shakeem. All right. All right. So that was Shaquem Evans. He is one of the contributors to the Soul of a Man 2, Make Me Wanna Holler. Uh, we are speaking with those contributors as well as the contributors from No Test, No Testimony on tonight. And uh, we're really excited about having them here because we believe that both of those anthologies are really going to help people to change their mindsets and change their lives. We want to remind you that you can go to Amazon.com and pick up a copy of either one of those. Um, even as we speak, although neither of them is officially going to be out until de- December 1st, please make sure you, you visit that site, get your copies, and leave a review. Let us know what you think about them so that we can begin a dialogue that can uh, help us to change our community and change the narrative in the process. So, E, I'm going to throw it back to you to let me know who's going to be coming up next. Okay, next we have Leticia Galloway um, from No Test, No Testimony, and we have Memphis Vaughn Jr. from Soul of a Man too. Okay, I'm sorry, I missed the first name of Vaughn. Uh, we have Memphis Vaughn Jr. from Soul Got of a Man it. and Leticia Galloway from No Test, No Testimony. Great, thank you so much. Leticia, hello. Hello, Cheryl. How are you? I'm fine, and you? I am doing just fine. Thank you so much for being with us here on tonight for our uh, virtual release party for No Test, No Testimony and Soul of a Man 2. Um, I happen to know that your story is one that is truly uh, prolific. It is one that I think will bless people tremendously, especially when you um, consider the loss of a child and the circumstances. And and I just wanted to um, get you to tell us a little bit about your journey of overcoming that loss. And I I don't know that you ever really overcome, but you, you somehow you've made it through, I guess, is the better word. Okay. Well, in 2001... I lost my son, Jordan. He was two months, exactly two months of age. So I had a hard time dealing with that because um, he didn't die of natural causes. I will say he was allegedly murdered by my boyfriend. So I didn't know how to deal with that. Um, People would ask me if I wanted to talk about it, and I, I couldn't talk about it. Someone mentioned his name, and I would just burst out in tears. So rather than talk about it, I internalized it. And what that did is it started 
eating at me, and I started to become a very angry and bitter person. And I started partying because I wanted to forget that my son ever existed. I thought that God forgot about me. I figured, well, if God forgot about me, I'm, I'm going to forget about my son. I just wanted, I just wanted to stop. I just wanted the thoughts to go away. So in the middle of all of that. I'm I'm drinking, I'm trying to drink my, my worries away and forget, but the next day it was still there. So finally I got to the point where I couldn't I couldn't drink anymore, um, you know, to um numb the pain, uh, without, you know, getting an overdose. So I I just I just lost it one day. I just was like, Well, God forgot about me, I don't wanna be here. So long story long story short, I um I OD'd, okay? But the the miraculous thing to me is I stopped breathing in one of my friend's houses. And it, to me, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe in God, and everything happens for a reason, and he, he intervenes miraculously. There was an ambulance that just left the complex, and they turned right back around and revived me. And today I don't have any kind of um, damage or anything like that. So I believe in God, and what that taught me is if God can bring me through the loss of my son and that pain, and you can't really explain to people how it feels, um, he can bring me through anything else in this life cause, because, to me, that is the most painful experience that I will ever go through. And I wrote my chapter in the hopes that some other mother or it doesn't have to be just the loss of a child, but a mother, a father, a, a, a aunt, anyone that lost someone can see that if I got through it, God can bring you through also. It's painful, it hurts, yes, but it's possible to move through that. Mm-hmm. And and how have you, um, as you look back on it now and, and look at where you are today, how have you managed to continue to, to move forward um, in your life? Because I know a lot of people would say that that, you know, it's probably, like you said, one of the most difficult things to ever deal with. But, um, I know that in in your message you always you refer back to God. Tell us a little bit about that. What I do is I do a lot of um, praying to God, and I do a lot of uh, walking, you know, walking around the house, having conversations with God. I'm like, I don't know, God, I don't know uh, where you're taking me, but I, you know, I'm going to go. And um, you know, late in the midnight hour. You know, sometimes it'll be like the holidays, and I'll want to cry, and I'll just, I'll just say, Jesus, help me, help me. I, you know, it hurts, and then a, a small voice inside, inside says, I know it hurts, and it's okay, and I allow myself mm-hmm. to cry. That's the most important thing I can tell someone is don't hold it in. You love your loved one, your child, your mom, your dad, whoever it is. You love them. It's normal to cry. Let mm-hmm. it out. That's, that was the most helpful thing to me. Holding it in really hurt. You know, um, I also um, journaled sometimes my, my feelings. I still journal sometimes. Um, if I'm having a particular uh, day, I'll journal about how it makes me feel or um, I'll write a poem. Um, it's just the most important thing for me was just to stay 
in prayer and know that God is there because the enemy will try to convince you that he's not, and he is, and I know he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, everything that you said so far is, is right on point because, you know, people will try to make you believe, oh, well, you know, it's time for you to stop crying now. You need to stop grieving now. But I tell people, everybody grieves differently. You can't, you can't uh, even imagine you know, what this must be like for me, so I need to go through my process the same way that anybody else needs to go through theirs. And, you know, the journaling, I know that journaling helps a lot. You know, I didn't haven't lost um, anyone quite that close to me, but, I, you know, there are other things that I have grieved for in my life, relationships and, and things like that, and the journaling process definitely uh, it helps to get it down on paper and to actually see it and be able to look at it for what it is so that you can get get to the other side, so to speak. Now, I know, you know, sometimes it's difficult for people, you know, when they know somebody that's gone through something this horrific and, you know, they want to console them, they want to help them through, they want to be there for them, but sometimes we, you just don't know what to say. What, what would you tell someone that is trying to console an individual that has lost, in particular, someone that's lost a child? Um, sometimes I think um, it's a habit to want to find a solution for the other person that's crying or upset. Sometimes mm-hmm. people don't want you to find a solution. They just want you to listen, and all they need is a hug. Mm-hmm. That's that's the most – I remember when that happened to me. I didn't really want a solution and, you know, talking about it's, it's going to be all right. And then, Because in that moment, it doesn't feel all right. The person just mm-hmm. may need to vent. Or, or to cry, just give them a hug and and, and let them talk. And then if mm-hmm. if they want um, a solution, more than more often times than not, they're going to ask you, "What should I do?" Most of the time, right. they just want you to listen. Right. Well, that I think that was very important. Listening, I think, is 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 right up at the top of the list. So I thank you for that because I think you know, like you said, people don't really know what to do. They don't really know what to say, and, and it's easier to try to fix it than it is and give a solution than it is to just sit and listen and help the person talk it out and talk it through. So, Letitia, tell the listeners how they can connect with you. Um, you can connect with me on LetitiaGalloway.com. That's L-E-T-I-S-H-A-G-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y. Um, I'm also on Facebook, um my author page, author Letitia Galloway, um, Letitia underscore Nicole at uh, Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn under Letitia well, Galloway, that so is. Much. <laughs> I forgot my last name, huh? <laughs> We're glad that you were able to join us here tonight, and we look forward to uh, reading your testimony in No Test, No Testimony. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was truly an honor. Absolutely. Um, now we're going to speak with, uh, I believe it's Message Bond. He is one of the contributors to. Hello. Hello, this is Memphis. Hello, sir. How are you? I am doing fine. How about yourself? I am doing just fine. Uh, the first question that I wanted to um, to pose to you is this. 
with everything that we are facing right now in our community, how important do you think that it is for books like uh, Soul of a Man 2 to be out there for, in particular, our younger African-American males to read? I think it's uh, very important. I think the uh, authors in the book are there to uh, share their diverse experiences, but then there are also many similarities between each of the authors uh, that they've encountered in their lives. And I think it's a a good way for uh, the younger generation to take a look at what is being written and see that there are different paths that each of us have taken to, you know, reach the point that we are in our lives today, um, you know, some may have gone through a lot more uh, challenging experiences than maybe I have, but then there are some that who may have faced the same, you know, path that I have and still may have had those uh, challenges to o- overcome, and, and hopefully my story will be encouraging to those who, um, who've uh, faced those similar circumstances. Okay. So, so enlighten us a little bit about what your particular contribution is to the soul of a man. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, my story is mainly I, I've kind of looked at how uh, I've got to the point I am today. I'm uh, in my you know mid fifties, and I uh, feel like a lot of what have shaped me into the man I am today is uh, due to my faith, uh, you know, my family's heritage, and um, just my overall journey, uh, you know, being, you know, the first black in a lot of situations in, you know, school, you know, college, uh, work, and that type of thing, and just how I've dealt with those, uh, you know, challenges. Are, are there any challenges in particular that um, could have potentially taken you off course? Um. Probably, I, I would probably look back at college as probably being the the time that I had to, uh, you know, really uh, sort of hunker down and and deal with some of those things. I, I went, I had the you know the benefit of attending a HBCU and a predominantly white university. I was in a dual degree program, so I got you know both experiences. And by the time I got to the uh, predominantly white university. I used as the only black in a class, and I you know, kind of felt a little isolated. And it took a while, and just you know, reaching back to family and friends and different mentors I had to help me, uh, you know, deal with that experience. And I think without that, I probably would have floundered and and maybe given up without getting a degree and, and you know, being able to pursue my uh, profession. So I, I think uh, having a strong family background, uh, a good church family, a good circle of friends, you know, really makes a difference in my life. And I feel like that's the message I'd like to get across to a lot of the readers is you have to surround yourself with positive people and those who can help you in the times when you face those adversities. So, so do you think that maybe that's uh some of what we're missing right now in our community is that they're, um, I don't know so much that it's, it's that they're not there or if it's that some of our youth are not able to find them or they're having difficulty connecting with some of those positive role models. I, I think that is the case. And, you know, trying to look at it from my perspective to reach back and help those, sometimes I I struggle with, you know, uh, being an older person, I feel like the older I get, the 
the less uh, connected I am with some of the younger generations. And I think one of the earlier authors mentioned the same thing, that um, sometimes there's that disconnect. But I try to do it in whatever ways I can. I, you know, speak to uh, students that come to my workplace and talk about, you know, my profession and different things. And I often try to offer some life lessons whenever I can in those settings. And I think sometimes we all want to do something great and, you know, tremendous and, you know, save the whole community and world at once. And I finally realized that we just have to do it a little bit at a time. And um, every now and then you get some feedback that let you know that you are doing the right thing. And sometimes it's within the families, within circle of friends. And other times it may be other strangers that you've encountered that, um, Somehow you get some feedback to let you know that you're doing the right thing by trying to um, to give back. And, and I, I just have to ask this question. Is that your real first name? And if so, where did it come from? It is my real first name, and that's always a question that comes up. I'm a junior, actually, so my dad was named Memphis, and his mom was traveling near the city of Memphis on the train. This was back in the 20s. Wow. And she was carrying him, and he was kicking, and I guess that name popped in her head, and that's how we are today. And I actually have a son that's Memphis the Third, so we're trying to carry on that tradition. Oh, wow, that is amazing. Well, Message, thank you so much for being with us here tonight. Is there a way that our listeners can connect with you? Yes, uh, probably my main uh place of being connected. I have a website called Tim Book Two and it's T I M B O O K T U dot com. And it's a, a website where I feature the writings of African American poetry, uh fiction, essays and other type of writing. And that's where I uh, met Elisa Gabrielle initially. She was one of the early contributors to the site. And so uh, that's sort of my main hangout. And I also have uh, uh Tim Two fan page on Facebook, and um, you also can find me as Memphis Vaughn on LinkedIn and Twitter. Well, we certainly enjoyed having you here on tonight, and we look forward to having you here sometime in the very near future. Okay, thank you, Cheryl, for this opportunity, and I appreciate being able to speak to the audience. Absolutely. Everybody, we are speaking with the authors of The Soul of a Man 2, Make Me Want to Holler, as well as the authors of No Test, No Testimony. We want to remind you that you can go over to Amazon.com and pick up a copy of either of those books today. Um, Their official release date is not until December the 1st, but we want you to go ahead and be among the first to get your copies and give us reviews. Um, And let us know that you've gotten a copy and reviewed it, and we'll see. Maybe we can enter you into a contest or something to win something from us as a result of that. Also, make sure to visit us at TweetChat.com tonight with the hashtag Anthology Party. The first person to do so will be in line to receive a special gift from Peace in the Storm Publishing and Imani Faith Publishing. You can also send us your messages and your congratulations on our event page on Facebook. So next up, we have a couple of more authors that are here to speak with us tonight about their contributions to these two wonderful anthologies. And Lisa, who do we have next? Okay, I'm going to open both the lines up uh, for C.C.H. Caldwell-Miller from No Test, No Testimony, and Alvin C. Romer from Soul of a Man, too. So they're both lines. Oh, wonderful. Well, listen, I am going to talk 
watched the album Roma first this time because it has been a while since I've had the opportunity to speak to him, and I am thrilled, Alvin, that you're here with me tonight. Hello. You have always been in my thoughts. I never forgot you. I carry you around always in my heart. Oh, that is so sweet. Alvin Roma was one of the first people to um, to do a review of one of my, well, I think my very first book, actually, was yes, right. on right. the Ministry of Motherhood. And he was so kind then, and you are still that kind, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Now, he's one of the guys that you really want to listen to as we're talking about bridging the gaps and the connections between the various um, the various age groups that we, we deal with with our African-American youth. And he has a, a lot to offer, and I know he's done some really great things with uh, some of the youth. And, Alvin, what, what was your contribution this time? I think you were in the original one, but most definitely with Soul of a Man too. Yes, I was. Oh, this time around, I deal with um, this, the same theme of um, coming from a broken situation and entering into a triumphant state. In all of our lives, we've always been battered, broken, but we're still blessed. And my, my, my contribution, I entitled it My Journey of a Thousand Miles. And it deals with several different situations um, uh, that we, that I've gone through that have brought me in a, in a situation where I can hold on, and if I should fall, and I did fall, but I landed on my feet. And I give three different instances of how one can make their lives better by living a righteous type life. And I give examples of biblical people in the Bible that, that went from mediocre to magnificent or were corrupted, but they were able to correct themselves. So in your mind, Alvin, when you're looking at all of the things that are occurring right now in our communities, what do you think we can do to help bridge that gap better? Because I really believe that until we are able to do that, we're going to continue to see a lot of the breakdown that we're seeing right now? Well, in order for us, and I say us, I'm speaking generically of black men, we have to reclaim that that which we have lost or that which we have never had. Hello, are you still there? Yes, Hello? I'm here. I'm here. Yes, okay, I'm here. yeah, and, and, and one of the main things I have always advocated, we need to reclaim our community because the British that raised me no longer exists. We have to make sure that we can get it away from the disenfranchisement of those communities where self family communities are really, you know, galvanized. And a lot needs to be done of, like, you know, in transition. I'm still trying to stand up for accountability. And one of the things I feel that we need to do is get back to a Christian value set. And I think um, one of the key things you said is, is accountability and in being responsible and taking um, responsibility for the things that we do and tying that even into what Message said a few moments ago, you know, doing it one person at a time. I think a lot of people don't get involved because they feel like, oh, well, I can't make a huge difference. I really can't impact, you know, a lot of people or, or a lot of change. But if we did, if everybody just did a little something, I think that that would take us a long way. 
you, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, when Jesus came looking for Adam in the Garden of Eden, he was hiding. And my point today, even in the first book that was out there, the of man, I asked the question, where is he? Where are the men? Where are you? Mm-hmm. Are they still hiding? And I asked women, how well do you know your man? Do you know that he's trying to stand up? What is he hiding in his soul that needs to come and be, you know, exposed? So in order mm-hmm. for us to, to reclaim any type of, of accountability, we, we must be able to look at the future in the water and straighten it up. Because as quick as it should be, we should be able to see the bigger picture step outside of our mission Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes, though, Alvin, that can be really difficult because that means that uh, you have to be able to identify your truth. And for some people, that truth is not necessarily what they want to see. But uh, I think it's, that's what it's going to take to get us to where we, we want to be. Um, you know, being being responsible, you know, particularly women, you know, we we – and, I, you know, I just have to put it out there like it is. We are talking about real life. But we get, you know, we get with these men and then have kids with these men, and then we're angry because they don't take care of them. But at the end of the day, when we got with them, we knew what kind of men they were. Well, that's true. And, um, it's, a, it's a time on thing, Cheryl. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. But at the yeah. same time, both men and women need to be able to know what their destinies are. And use a sense of discernment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Alvin, I thank you so much. I am so excited that you are on this broadcast tonight. Um, it is a pleasant surprise. I wasn't I wasn't sure if you'd be able to make it or not, but it has been wonderful speaking with you. And we really need to get together on, and and do some things together in the very near future. I'm glad you said that because I'm gonna hold you accountable to that. Okay. Talking about a okay. Absolutely. Not a problem. Not a problem. Let our listeners know how they can con- connect with you, please. Well, I'm mm-hmm. all over the place. You know, I, all they have to do is Google Alvin C. Romer, and about five or six blogs will come up to them. Well, thank you, Alvin. Again, I, I like to call it being Googleicious. Yeah, you and I got to talk, okay? Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you again. All right, dear. Take care. Absolutely, you too. Now, this next next lady is, um, you know, they always tell me I'm the Energizer Bunny. But if there is anybody else that I know of that is an Energizer Bunny that's even remotely close, it is this lady, CCH Caldwell Miller. She is amazing. She has taken a couple of projects and run with them like nobody I've ever seen in my life. She is phenomenal. She is um, Miss Personality, and I see why they call her that. And I'm thrilled to have her as a part of Imani Faith Publishing and thrilled to have her as a part of No Test, No Testimony. Welcome, Cece. Hello, hello. I'm excited to be here. How you doing? I am doing great, doing great. Tell the listeners a little bit about um, your contribution to, because it, yours was very, yours was a little bit different from everybody else's. It, it When I read it, it just, it kind of spoke to me on sort of a different level because it didn't really pinpoint any particular 
incident per se, but it was sort of like a, 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 a journey, if you will, an introspection that you did with yourself to identify where you were and what it was, what you were going to need to do to get to your next level. So tell us about that a little bit. Well, one of the things it was really, really based on initially was how I entered, as I like to say, the earth school, being born to a single parent, almost dying, her being my mother and myself. So coming in this space, I started off having to fight. And it really takes you on a little journey of how I continue to have to fight in my life for different things. But more importantly, one of the key things was being a daddyless daughter, being raised by a single mother who raised three kids by herself, not by choice because she had to, but she also dealt with her own situations and she dealt with sickness all of my life. So that process and what I felt due to the abandonment issues that us daddyless daughters deal with. Uh, we know that looking for love in all the wrong places because we may know that we're loved by our mothers, but daughters need to know the father is the first line of defense as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned that teaches a daughter how to be loved by a man, what to accept from a man and what not to accept. And when you don't have that, you try to figure that out on your own. And it doesn't always position you in the most favorable places. You can end up being abused by men and hated by women, frankly. And going through the ups and downs and as a teenager having experiences and rebelling because I I didn't want to see or got tired of seeing daughters with their fathers because I didn't have that experience. And it would hurt me and it caused rebellion, which led to drinking and, and really not really valuing myself at the time. And... And it just really tells that story on how I got through what I got through, and that's why I call it from struggle to freedom, because when you struggle through things and you're used to having to fight, if you don't change your mindset, you think you have to fight and struggle for everything. And I have to say and be transparent about it that I thought that that's what I had to do even until my adult, late adulthood, that I had to fight for everything or nothing was going to come easy because that's what I was destined for, but the truth of the matter, once I gave my life to Christ, I understood that there were better things in store for me. So what what would be your advice to another young woman who may find herself in the same situation that you were in, longing for that um, daddy figure and maybe looking for that father figure in, in people that were not able to provide that for her? I think the first thing that I would have to say that I learned along the way is that you have to love yourself first. Regardless of anybody else, whether it be your mother, your father, or anybody else, you have to love yourself and value yourself enough to know that it's not your loss, it's his loss, and that you deserve God's best, and that whatever you need to do, whatever help you need to seek so that you don't go down a path that could lead to further destruction because had I not had I not had people praying for me, had I not made a decision myself that in spite of 
what it looks like or those feelings of abandonment. Had I not made the decision to love me and realize how special I was and who I was, I might not even be here today talking to you right now because I was going down the path, but because I recognized that I had to love me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and forgive myself and not what we have a tendency of doing is when they leave, whether it be a father or the man in our life, we blame ourselves for it. We had to have done something. And that's not the case. We have to honor ourselves and know that what's meant for us will be for us and that God will put somebody in your life because he did. He gave me a surrogate. But at certain times, the surrogate wasn't enough because you have questions and answers and you, when you struggle with identity and who you are and where you come from, it's not easy to maneuver, but you have to make a choice. Either you're going to allow it to continue to dictate your future or you're going to take control of it and realize that you're going to move from where you are to where you want to be and understand that knowing in God's divine time, he will put someone in your life that will make you forget that that person never existed. So so was there anything, um, was there a, a pivotal moment that occurred that, that sort of shook you and said, okay, PC, you got to get this together, you got to, you know, this isn't right, or did it just kind of come gradually? Well, I got tired of being, as women, I got tired of being used by men, to be frank about it. And I got tired of believing or convincing myself that I was in control of the situation when really the men were getting what they wanted. I wasn't really in control, but I thought I was. Until I think just at one moment, a point, I realized that I deserved better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that there was going to be go ahead. there was going to be somebody for me. I think many of us, uh, women in particular, have found ourselves in that uh, in that place before, where you recognize, mm-hmm. okay, this is not. There, there has to be something more, and this is not. This, this cannot be all there is to love. This cannot be what right. love is supposed to look like. This, this it right. has to be something wrong with this, and getting yourself in position to be able to move from that. Sometimes that is hard too, especially when it, you know, you've kind of gotten comfortable with it and you're kind of used to it and it's kind of the place you always find yourself in. You know, what, and I think everybody's, everybody's story in that area might be a little bit different as to what it was that really kind of shook them at their core, their core to get to a point where they say, okay, enough is enough. I'm not taking this anymore. And and for some women, it never happens. Right. But I think for me, what I had to come to the realization, I had to realize who I was. In spite of not being connected to a father, I had to realize I was more than that. And once, but you got to do the work because it's not easy. It, yes, exactly, exactly. And it's you know not easy. I don't is, even want. <laughs> it, it's yeah, right, it's not right. easy. 
Yeah. It's hard to do, but about what you just said is that you were able to still be, um, get a connection with God, even though you didn't have a connection with your earthly father. And for some right. women, that is difficult because when they when they think about God being a father, they they begin to see Him in light of their earthly father, and it is hard for them to to come to uh, grip with. Um, a God that loves them unconditionally and, and, and is there for them no matter what, when that has not been their experience in the in the natural. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a process. And, and I even say now, as advanced in it as I am, I still have those moments. And that's called, that's a human moment. But when you realize how God sees you and how he created you to be and and how special you are to him. No human being compares to that. And when you get that, you understand that, again, it's not your loss because God is going to cover me. He's going to keep me. He's going to bless me. He's going to fill the void because there's an emptiness that we try to fill, and we try to fill it with physical males, but we can't do that because that's not their space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very poignant what you just said because I think there are some women that even in their marriages, which which may explain why they they get married so many times, they're trying to find somebody to complete them as opposed to someone who can complement them. So as a result of that, they find themselves in marriages in particular that. Um, uh, still leaves them feeling empty, and they're wondering why this is when they believe that this person is their soulmate or whatever else they think that they are, when in fact that's not really what they needed. What they needed was to get that connection with God. Absolutely, and you said something so poignant. Another person can't complete it, and people really, we have to really understand that. We have to be Mm -hmm. whole ourselves. And when God sends us, because the Bible says, he that findeth the wife, not she that go looketh for a husband. When we are out of alignment, we are dealing with a lot of things because we're out of order. And when we allow ourselves to fall in divine order, then things start to fall in place. Not that we won't go through or experience these things because we will, but I like to say I would rather go through what I've gone through in my life knowing that God was my father than not having him in my life at all. Absolutely, absolutely. CC, as always, it has been wonderful speaking with you. Let our uh, listeners know how they can connect with you, please. Well, you can find me on Periscope, Twitter, Facebook at Spoken Word Diva. You can find me on LinkedIn at CCH Caldwell Miller. You can Google me if you like. I'm Googleicious, so I'm out there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you can find me and, and connect. You can email me at spokenworddiva at gmail dot com. Just connect because I love I love people and I love connecting. So that's how you can do it. Absolutely, CC. Once again, thank you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Absolutely, everybody. We are. Speaking with the prolific powerhouse authors 
of both Peace in the Storm Publishing and Imani Faith Publishing as they prepare to release two brand new anthologies in December, The Soul of a Man 2, Make Me Want to Holler, and, and No Test, No Testimony. We want to remind you to please, please, please go over to Amazon.com and get your copy of both of those books as soon as you possibly can. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think about it. And let's have some dialogue about how we can change the narrative one story at a time. So at this point, we I believe we probably still have some uh, contributors to speak with. So, Elisa, let me know who's next. Okay, well, I'm going to open up this segment to the Soul Brothers, and we have four of them on the line from the Soul of a Man 2, and that's H.M. Trey, Brian Ganji, Alvin L.A. Horn, and Navi Robbins. Oh, great, 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 great. All of these guys, I love them all. I've had an opportunity to work with several of them in one capacity or another, and um, they are some amazing men. You know, when I hear them try to tell us that, you know, African-American men or or this or they're that or what they're not doing and how they're not performing and how they're not whatever, these are some of the men that belie that very subject. It, it, it's not true. There are African-American men out here that are doing their thing. They're trying to uplift their communities. They're trying to inspire people, and they're trying to make a difference, and these are some of them. And I think I want to start with uh, Brian Ganges. He is my brother from another mother. I love this guy. We've known each other for quite some time, and um, actually I uh, I introduced him to Elisa Gabriel and Peace of Storm Publishing some years ago, and we, we also used to do a radio broadcast together years ago with Red Church Radio. So, Brian, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So what what are you talking about in Soul of a Man 2? I know that um, part of the original Soul of a Man and that particular book actually won an African-American Literary Award because you guys did such an excellent job of uh, contributing to the work and uh, putting in some really great stories. So what what are you talking about this time for Soul of a Man 2? In Soul of a Man 2, I talked about a story that is uh, very dear to my heart, and uh it was a, it's a real story and it uh it's an incident that i had back in uh, the early 90s after the uh Rodney King incident i was um i was driving home one evening and i had a car crash um driving from north carolina to jersey and um there was a a white cop had come on the scene to report what had happened and you could tell that he had a chip on his shoulder for whatever reason, and he was just looking for a reason to to, to have something go down. And uh, I was looking for a reason for him to make something go down. And uh, we, we were here to have a real bad incident there, but my dad, um, uh, my dad was there, and uh, he was the. Uh, calming force that uh, allowed cool, uh, cooler heads to prevail in that situation. And from that situation, and, and what I further detail in the story, is the importance of having a father in your life. Um, my father is still a uh, very active, I'm a grown man, but my dad is still an active part of my life. He's still an uh, active mentor and a counselor and, you know, a person I can bounce off of. And, you know, he was the you know, I was raised by my dad and my mom, but but my dad was a very present and active father, 
Um, and in many ways, unfortunately, I'm an anomaly in the black community because I have a very active father in my life. Um, most of my friends growing up didn't have, you know, their father's present. So, uh, so I talk about my relationship with my dad that specifically that that incident in particular, and and how having him uh, in my life to guide me, uh, to lead me, and to show me, you know, how to navigate situations was very critical because that could have ended up uh, in me getting a jail sentence or a death sentence. So uh, having my dad in my life has, has definitely been a benefit, that's for sure. And that's, and that's basically what I talk about in the piece. Yeah, and I can see how that is um, extremely important. Um, and I, w- I would agree that I think a lot of what we're facing right now is uh, a direct Result of not having enough um, male uh, fathers, yes, but definitely, you know, if if a father is absent, you know, not enough male role models, and I don't know how we how we change that or rectify that, um, other than uh, sort of what I said earlier that you know each of us do what we can individually, one person at a time. You know, if you see a young man on the street and and and, and he's got his pants hanging down or whatever. Are you um, capable enough to, to not go in and um, ridicule them or be condescending towards them, but to be able to go in and speak to them in a way that they can understand and, and try to educate them on why perhaps that's not the best look or why, you know, where that came from and why they should not be doing that. And, and again, it, it kind of has been a recurring theme throughout the broadcast tonight, but really bridging that gap between, you know, the older guys and the younger guys and helping them to see uh, more of what they have in common as opposed to the the differences that we have. And, and it goes the same way for even with the females. You know, a lot of the young ladies that their bodies are the ways to for them to get to the top or, or to experience some sort of uh, success or, or whatever the case may be. And, and I think that we really need to work hard at making those changes, again, changing the narrative. And I think that's what we're missing out on right now. Yeah, and and, and what I've found uh, with a lot of our young guys is I've seen a lot of anger. And the problem with the anger is they haven't identified why they're angry. And and the other part that I've seen with that anger is a man – Thank God for the women who are standing in the gap when there's no present male. I, I, I love the women for what they're doing. But there's nothing like a man in a man's life. There's nothing like a man that can teach a little boy how to be a man. Um, so a lot of times I, I talk to guys, little young guys who don't have their father present, and they're angry because of that for whatever reason. He left, he died, you know, he's in jail, whatever the issue is but they're angry because they, they see other boys with their dads or they, they have a longing in their heart for that male companionship because that's natural. It's natural for mm-hmm. for male bonding. That's natural. And and for a young man to, to be able to see somebody to aspire to be like, to, to emulate, we want that. We need that. We desire that. Even though we might not articulate it, it's something that we want because it's on the inside of us. It's what God created for us to, to follow. And if we don't have that, we, we we feel a sense of lost uh, that we're lost, or, or something's incomplete, or something's um, you know. And thank God that God's there no matter what. But 
you know, God placed fathers in our lives for a reason. And, and if we don't have that, you know, there always seems like there's something out of kilter. But thank God he's always there, even if that father's not there. And, um, you know, and, and he can fill in the, the gaps where necessary. But fathers are an integral part of, of our family structure and our society. And, and I just want to promote um, healthy relationships through fathers. And I don't want to promote mm-hmm. fathers. And, you know, it, it goes back even to what uh, Cece said right before you there. It's not only, you know, for the fellas, but even for the women, even for girls. Because, mm-hmm. you know, your dad is usually the one, and I know you happen to have a beautiful daughter who is all grown up now. I can't believe it sometimes when I hear you talking about her. But, you know, <laughs> the first dance that you ever have or, or, or a dad that opens the door for you or even lets you know that, that a man should be opening the door for you or the first time you go – out to dinner with your dad and he pulls a chair out for you and things like that. If that's never demonstrated to you, then you don't know that you should even be aspiring to be with someone that way. So they're they're important not only to the young men, but dads are important to young women as well because that's the first um, person that should be there to teach them what it should look like for a man to love a woman. So, you know, it's just all the way around. We really do need uh, the fathers in our lives. And and having said that and having been a mom, you know, although my, my husband has been in my son's life for uh, quite some time, not to say we're very, very young, but initially he was not there. And, um, or initially their father was not there. And it, 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 it can make a difference, but it is important to try to find someone that can fill in the gap. Because while I definitely do believe that, um, and many women have done so, raised some really wonderful men, it's a whole lot more difficult when you don't have a role model there. And for most of them that were successful, they found somebody. It might not have been a husband or or it might not have been their father, but they found someone that filled in that that gap in late because absence of that, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to be. And I think many of them now, especially the younger ones, that's kind of where they are. They don't know where to look. They don't know who to be or how to act or, or any of that because it's just not there for them. Yeah, absolutely. But we just mm-hmm. got to keep uh, pressing, pressing along and, um, you know, finding, finding the folks that are, that are longing for that and reaching for that, and we just got to reach out to them and, uh, and show them the way. Absolutely. Brian, how can everybody contact you, sir? Uh, com. Uh, Facebook, uh, at Brian Ganges, Twitter, and uh, through Peace in the Storm Publishing. And it's Ganges spelled G-A-N-G-E-S, just in case somebody wants to know. Brian, my brother, it's great to speak with you again. Enjoyed it. You have to come back soon. All right. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. No problem. I believe that Elisa also said that we have Alvin L.A. Horn on the line This also is a very outstanding brother that is doing some really great things, and we're pleased to have him on the broadcast tonight. Hello, Alvin. Good evening. How are you doing? I am doing just fine, sir. Excited about having everybody on the broadcast tonight. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to to let the uh, listeners know also what you brought to the Soul of a Man, too, this time. 
You know, I first want to shout out to Brian there. He hit on some very important topics and about, you know, manhood and his father. And, and uh, I actually, I have a little part in the, in my story I wrote in Soul of a Man too about uh, interaction I had with the police and I had my young daughter with me and they kind of just really uh, took me back there. But uh, what I brought to the, to the book is I'm, I'm a musician, I'm a poet, and I definitely do a lot of spoken word and I've been rather known for that as and uh, I want to bring a poetic type justice, a poetic type voice in taking us back through how our own personal history is mixing in society at different times when times have been changing and how we have evolved during those times and how do we you know, encompass all the things that are going on around us, us as men, us as fathers, as many of us just in the workplace, how is that for us and how does it impact us? How does it um, evolve when we're dealing with our youth and going back to our beginning times in life when uh, men uh, acted a certain age? Now, you know, of course, you hear about the old school and the OG, and it's kind of laughed at a lot about by our youth, you know, um, but I think we have to stay true to who we are as men and not get caught up in trying to be somebody younger than we are. We all laugh about the, the man that goes, he gets, uh, you know, he's lost his hair and he goes out and he buys a, a Corvette when he reaches a certain age, you know, and we know that we all look at that person like, what are you doing? You know, you've mm -hmm. earned the right to be the age you are and to do the things you do and the things you've gone through. You need to share those and be those things. And so I tried to bring that to a poetic type voice. And uh, I've taken my story and I've put it in with the context of living the blues as we are black men living the blues. And that is our bond that ties us together from the times that we first came across on them slave ships to the plantations to the time we were so-called free and to the Jim Crow era and the turn of the century. You know, we have always lived the blues, and those blues have tied us together from the times mm -hmm. of church until we partied. It kept us together as one. It's one thing that we can recognize, and even today in our in our hip-hop, that's nothing but the blues in some ways. Some mm -hmm. of it's gotten out of control, that's for sure, and uh, we hope we can rein that back in with, the, with uh, somebody, most of us, starting to speak up about we want to hear music again. So I tried mm -hmm. to bring that as more of a poetic type of situation and everything. And actually, I'd like to read a paragraph of the opening line, if you don't mind, to show Please, you what I mean here. by Please bringing do. in everything. Okay. A black man's blues, our bond that binds us together. Red, white, and the blues woven into the pain and pride that we are still alive. Forced onto human cargo ships, sold off on the block of Roots Avenue. Lynched black man's place, Emmett Hill Boulevard, Trayvon Martin cul-de-sac, Eric Garden, I Can't Breathe Avenue at the end of Dead Man's Corner. We are living through the blues, and that binds us, and it bonds us together. And that's basically how I try to come out through the whole piece that I brought in is that all the things we go through, they are the blues and they bind us and they keep us together. They don't never let us get too far from each other. And then we know in society now, 
we have different opinions when we used to all seemingly shared um, maybe if you go back to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, we had two different trains of thoughts that mm-hmm. you were either on one side or the other side. And somewhere in the middle, you know, we found some peace and, and, and advantages and uh, we started to move on up, so to speak. But somewhere along the line, you know, uh, the material world, the things that became money became to, uh, a controller. And now when you look at us as a people, we are as divided as anything possible. And uh, we fight with each other. <laughs> Don't go on Facebook, boy, and have a difference of opinion. <laughs> it can get it right. can get crazy. You know, I yeah. laugh at the trolls from other races. No, I ain't worried about mm-hmm. them. I'm worried about our own people sometimes that we need to dial it back a bit. And so I try to come out on the piece and speak about that. Well, Alvin, we are, I'm sure my brother, enlightened and enriched by the fact that you bring all that you bring, not only to the soul of a man too, but also to the community at large. I think that if we can get our youth to listen to some of you guys and to to try to emulate some of you all, then we are definitely headed in the right direction. I, you know, both of these anthologies, I believe, are really going to help people to see things a little bit differently. And sometimes that's all it takes. If you've never been exposed to something, then, you know, if you don't know better, you can't do better. And and that's what I'm hoping that each of these books will be able to do is to help people to know better so that they can do better. Well, you know, I, we can't do better until we recognize that we have bonds that tie us together more so than than less than. We we are related going back to our DNA, and we're related to the struggle. You know, it makes no difference if you are now making, you know, six figures. You still are going through the same thing to the person that's making $20,000 a year. You still have the same issues. You can still be pulled over by the police. Your children can still be, you know, put in a bad situation, either through education on a college campus or in kindergarten when they start expelling us. We still have the same issues no matter what our demographic is. I think it's kind of interesting, though, one of the demographics that we have to start including and thinking about is that we have mixed in so many areas with other races and other classes. Now, when that has happened, a lot of people don't realize that they're still a black American or the black Americans don't, don't look at them as being black. But I can tell you what binds us is the same things happen to us. But how we right. look at them and how we handle them is handled totally different. You know, it's not uncommon for one of us to be in the presence of some racist situations, and we won't call it racism. We'll just say, you know, it's not, you know, it's not that. And some other, the same person, another person, excuse me, could run into the same thing, and they are highly offended by what's going on. But in the bottom, in the bottom of of all that pool down at the bottom, is is that we are still being injected with negativity from the outside world. Mm-hmm. They still don't appreciate us. They steal us, and I mean that by that they steal all our trains of thoughts and our ideas and our arts and, of course, our music that's been going on forever. But, you know, even how we walk through society, 
they are still trying to be like us. And so when we do this, we have to be conscious that our varying opinions are okay, but we still are from the same DNA, regardless of our skin tone or our so-called class or our monetary value. You know, it's interesting you said that because um, I was having a conversation with someone earlier today, and um, we we were kind of talking about the situation with uh, Bill Cosby versus the situation with, and, and I can't think of the guy's name right now, but he was the, the man that played the dad on um, Seventh Heaven. And the person that I was mm-hmm. to said, and, you know, they took off all of Cosby's shows. The minute that all of this stuff came out, they were ready to just pull him immediately from the uh, the airwaves. And yet Seventh Heaven is still being broadcast on at least one channel because she said she just saw it um, uh, earlier in the week. And it, 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 it really resonated with me. In, in relation to what you just said, at the end of the day, as, as big as we all thought Bill Cosby was and, and as much money as he obviously has and the education that he has and, and all of that, he's still, like you say, he's still a black man at the end of the day. Still and, a black man at the end of the day. And he's still yes. going to experience um, in relation to where we are compared to where he is, in a lot of ways, the same things that we're experiencing. You know, it, it may be on a different level, but it's still a level of uh, discrimination. It's still a level of, of different, being treated differently, even though in your head you may have thought that you have arrived. And so I definitely understand what you're getting at. It doesn't matter. does not matter yeah. at all. And I actually I bring that up in the book about – how different classes of us get caught up in thinking that we have arrived. But it doesn't take but just a moment for you find yourself in the back of the bus headed to county jail, no matter who yeah. you are. And and your and your so called blessings, okay, now you have to be conscious of something. And I mentioned something very important in the book that we've kind of gotten away from. A lot of us were told you have to work two and three times harder. You yeah. have to protect yourself two and three times smarter, okay? Yeah. Uh, my grandfather, they, I mean, he made sure I understood that, and I talk about this in, my, in the part that I wrote, write about. Now, okay, Mr. Bill Cosby, whatever your sin is, you needed to be two and three times smarter. Mm. You forgot, okay? R. Kelly, yeah. you needed to be two and three times smarter. You forgot. Or maybe he never knew. See, because there's an age demographic and everything, you know. Right, right. I still, when I walk into a 7-Eleven, I'm conscious of not pulling out my wallet until I get to the counter. You still have to be two and three times smarter, even on the smallest level. When we're pulled over by the police, okay, you try to keep maintaining some civility, even though you're spoken to most likely in a rude way quite often. We have all experienced that. Okay. Now, we are dying. We're being shot. We're just seeing this read on the TV right now. This young man shot 16 times, and he wasn't a threat. You know, we, you know, he needed to be two and three and four and five, ten times smarter, knowing the climate out there. Now, it seem, might seem unfair. 
But it's just a reality that we have to protect ourselves, protect our children, protect our income, protect our way of life by always being working harder two or three times and being smarter five or six times, whatever it takes. We don't have that luxury. And that is something that we must teach to our children, that those days are not over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we don't have an option. It's not, well, I no, think no, that, no, there's no, no option. No, no, you can, you know, you don't have the, you can scream, I'll sue and everything all you want. Okay, let's get real. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Stop screaming. Well, Alvin, stop. thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm going to have to bring you fellas back on for, for another discussion altogether about those kinds of topics in particular. But before you go, I want you to make sure our listeners know how they can connect with you. Um, my website Please come on by. You'll enjoy yourself. You'll enjoy some of my spoken word, which is normally more romantic, erotic, and that's, I'm kind of known for that. That's alvinhorn.com, okay? You can catch me on SoundCloud, alvinhorn.com. You can catch me on Twitter, at alvinhorn, and Facebook, alvinhorn.com. Please come on by, and you can all go, always Google me. There's about 10 pages on me, and they're all good. Anyway. I enjoyed being on. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. I love speaking to my people and being heard, and I love the exchange of educating ourselves. Thank you so much, Alvin. All right. Have a blessed evening. You as well. Navi Robbins, I had an opportunity to uh, to, uh, interview him. I want to say it was last year, I believe, about one of the books that he was putting out there. So we're glad to welcome him back to Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan and give him an opportunity to um, maybe even address some of the things that we talked about uh, within just a few moments that we've been on with Alvin Horn and uh, Brian Ganges and how he weighs in on those topics as well as give us an opportunity to hear a little bit about his contribution to Souls of Man 2. Hi, Navi. Hi, good evening. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. How about you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. I just first want to say uh, thanks to you, thanks to Alyssa, um, definitely thanks to the creator for this opportunity. Uh, it's a great, uh, great opportunity for black men to be able to open themselves up because we don't have that opportunity. We most of the time, we have to remain strong. We have to be warriors. And a lot of mm-hmm. times, we don't get the opportunity to release emotionally. And I think, uh, and I definitely thank um, Alyssa for this opportunity. Yeah. So so what are some of your thoughts? I know that you've been on the line for a few minutes, and you've heard what some of the other contributors have said, um, in, in particular, Alvin, what he just got saying and what Brian has said and, and Alvin Romer as well. well. What are some of your thoughts about that? Um, for one, I, I think that my people have been asleep for mm. so long. Um, we've allowed the we've allowed our um, our of chasing exterior matter we've allowed ourselves to become obsessed with, you know, grabbing a, grabbing a hold of material things or places in society. We've allowed ourselves to be obsessed with how we're, how we're perceived 
by those that hate us. No matter what you do, no matter what you do, it's been proven. Back in the 50s and the 60s, we didn't have a black-on-black crime problem. Back Mm -hmm. in the 60s, we didn't have pants hanging off our behinds. We didn't have... You know, drug dealers in the in in the in the in the neighborhoods as, as bad as they are now. We didn't have all of the different things that plague our community today, and yet mm-hmm. still, they hung us, they burned us, they raped us, they blew up our churches, and now that we are where we are today, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And just like the dude said about Bill Cosby, you can't allow your money or your position to fool you into thinking that the green is going to cover up your black. Because at the end of the day, it was going to be an African. It doesn't matter. You know, and the way that this country has shown how it feels about people of African descent, you have to govern yourself accordingly. But I think it all begins and ends with fatherhood or the lack thereof. Mm -hmm. A lot of the young men don't have the examples. But at the same time, my personal feeling about everything that we're seeing is that the African African American community is a, is a is a two-sided coin. You have the bad side and you have the good side. The media is only portraying one side of the coin. And if you see this one side of the coin over and over and over and over again, it allows you to feel a certain kind of way about yourself and your people. Let alone when you start adding up the actual numbers that the FBI puts out saying that, you know, uh, you have white-on-white crime is 84% and black-on-black crime at 41%. But the way it's portrayed in the media, you think that black-on-black crime is somewhere in the 90s. In the high nineties or mid nineties, not it's not that's not the reality. It's not the reality. The same way how they portray Chicago. Back in the early nineties, the the murder rates was much higher than they are now. They just weren't covered as they are now. And I think that there is a there is an agenda and we have to be mindful of the agenda. And we can march as much as we want, but history teaches us that the only time we got results is when we use our financial power to get results. We boycotted the buses. What happened? Major change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have one of the highest consumer groups in the world. African-American uh, financial power exceeds some of these other countries, their whole national budget. Yeah. You want to- I totally agree with that and I have said it many times myself and I I you know, in my head, I'm trying to figure out what it will take to get us all on the same page and to understand um, the kind of power we have economically, because that's really, I believe, the only language 
that that is understood by by you know people that tend to be in power. That that's the language that they understand. Well, I think we have to start small. Well, we're, we're trying to do a national, you know, a lot of times people get discouraged because they're trying to do a national campaign on boycotting some big Fortune 500 company. But I think that if you start small, this neighborhood, just this city, city of Chicago, Walmart is the police department's biggest, you know, donator. We don't shop at Walmart no more. We're going to start shopping in Myers. We're going to start shopping in Target. In the Mexican neighborhood, guess what that does? That not only get, that not only make a statement, but you also now have another group of people that's going to have your back. This strictly is maintaining your financial support. Mm-hmm. You go to the only neighborhood and say, we're not shopping in Walmart, or we're going to you don't think that the Hispanic yeah. community is going to make our concerns, their concerns, even if it's just mon- just because of the monetary gain that they get from it. Everyone plays us for our money. So we need to do the same. Like you said, yeah. somebody's pockets get lighter, things change. Yeah. And, you know, I think another another part of that is, um, getting into the mindset of creating our own, creating our own, and that that's kind of what um, Lisa and I have have joined our heads together with 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 the whole media thing. You know, if, if we don't control the narrative, then we will get those uh, things that we see in media where it seems like ninety percent of the crime is caused by black people, and and you know, uh, or or uh, kids that don't have 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 dads in the home or whatever the case may be. It's because we really don't control that narrative. And we have to stop looking to somebody else to give us the resources to be able to create those things. You know, we want, uh, well, the government gives everybody else money. Well, you know what, I'm not waiting on the government to give me any money to create something in my community. How about we get together and raise that capital ourselves? You just said it. We, we have a trillion dollars worth of buying power. So why aren't we why aren't we doing that and what is it going to take for us to get into position to do that? Because that is where the change is going to happen. When I drive down or drive in an African American community and on every street corner I see a Vietnamese shop for this and a Vietnamese shop for that, you know, not throwing any shade on them, but come on, are you kidding me? And I think it's a cop out for us as African Americans to say, well, it's because they got uh, government funding or they got it. No, we could do that. We wouldn't need the government. Let's pool our resources together like they used to do and create it for ourselves. You're absolutely right. Like I said, you have to. We have to start small. Uh, my people, we follow trends. So you have to start small. Some of the greatest things started as a, small as a mustard seed. So you have to start small. Once our people start to see the success as a small group of people, then you start to then you start to see people gravitate to that. But it mm-hmm. has to start small. You know, a lot of times we try to start big. We want to go national. We want to go international. And because we're so divided, we can't, we can't, we can't shoot for that. You know, um, something needs to change. And a lot of times we need to change our strategy. 
Well, Mavi, um, tell us a little bit about your contribution to Soul of a Man 2, and then uh, you can let us know how we can con- connect with you. And definitely, again, like I said, I think I need to have all you guys back on the broadcast again to talk about this further. Absolutely. Uh, my contribution um, entitled Transformation from a Black Man to a Father, it follows my journey uh, of losing of losing my my three-month-old son in the most tragic way and how, like I said previously, as men, we don't get the, as black men, we don't get the opportunity to, to be open or to grieve. And that affected how I raised my other children. You know, he wasn't my only child. I had an older son and a, and a, and a, an older daughter. And it it really affected how I moved forward as a father and it was it's just it was just a downhill slope. You know, I was a single father, got full had full custody of my, my oldest son and it was just me and him and I started making bad decisions as I was trying to ignore the pain that I was feeling. I knew I wasn't all right, but I kept trying to convince myself that I was. Mm-hmm. And it just follows my struggle to be, to to actually come into a resolution with the way that I felt like my death and everything else that came along with that and all the mistakes I made afterwards. And the the message in that story is, you know, a lot of times we feel like if we're not perfect fathers or if we're not, you know, kind of like picturesque, you know, we like this picture-perfect image of a father, then a lot of times black men feel like we shouldn't get involved. And my message is you can make as many mistakes as you want. You're going to make mistakes. Just don't give up. Don't give up as a father. Don't give up because... Our young black women, they need their fathers. They need them. And all the mistakes in the world does not excuse you giving up on your children because it's still going to have to be. We made that decision whether it's consciously, unconsciously, willingly, or unwillingly, and here's a child. And we have to start taking responsibilities of that. And we're going to make mistakes. It's about growing. Being a father is just like being a president of the United States for the first time. There is no school to become head of state. There is no app that you can log into to try to figure out how to be a father because every instant is different. And I grew up mm-hmm. without my father. You know, so a lot of times people say if he grew up without a father, you know, he, he's going to grow up and not be a father. It's not true. It's not true because mm-hmm. I grew up around a lot of men, strong black right. men, but a lot of times they fell short as being a father. You could be a strong black man, revolutionary power to the people, but might fall short as being a father. It's about your will and what you're willing to do, how far you're willing to go for your children. Because you, as a parent, you have to be willing to give your life for your right. baby. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I want to say this before I let you um, tell our listeners how they can connect with you. Uh, some of some of that, unfortunately, is uh, heaped on fathers, and in particular African-American fathers, by 
some of the women in their lives who may have some unrealistic expectations and may be um, placing those men in next to impossible situations as to what they want them to do. And it, 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 it's unfortunate. And, again, another another place where we need to come together as a community to rectify that and to understand it's just as important for that man to be in the child's life as it is for him to be contributing financially to that child's life. You know, and I'm not talking about a dad that, that you know, is is – you know, uh, I don't want to. I don't know. I don't want to use derogatory terms, but you know, somebody. Uh, what am I trying to say? A criminal-minded individual that's going to be smoking weed with him all the time and that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that, but there are some men out there who may not necessarily be financially able, but who love their children nonetheless, and who will nurture their children and who will give, uh, impart great wisdom to their children if they were allowed the opportunity to do so. But because they may not be financially secure, you know, sometimes we 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 eliminate them out of the equation, and that's not necessarily fair. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let our listeners know how they can connect with you, Navi. Our listeners can connect with me and register on www.naviRobbins.com, N-A-V-I-R-O-B-I-N-S.com. Facebook, my Facebook name is Arthur Navi Robbins. You can also follow me on Twitter at Anaviel Shadows and Instagram at Navi Robbins. Navi, thank you for being with us tonight. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. I really appreciated it. Absolutely. And uh, we have Hurley. I'm sorry, H.M. Trey, forgive me, that's his pen name. H.M. Trey with us here tonight is also another very prolific writer with uh, Peace in the Storm Publishing. He's also recently been uh, named a managing, senior managing editor with Real Life, Real Faith, Men of Faith magazine. Several of the men that you've heard on tonight are also um, going to be contributors to that magazine as well as the women who are part of Women Walking by Faith. To find out more about that, you can visit www.reallifereallfaithmagazine.com. So, H.M. Trey, welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Life Real Faith. Hello, hello, hello. How are you today? I am great and, and just thrilled to have everybody on. Um, I know we are coming close to the end of our uh, time here, but I want you to make sure that you let our listeners know about your contribution to uh, Soul of a Man 2 and also let them know how they can connect with you as well. Okay. Well, uh, my con- uh, contribution, I, I went on the, I guess, being that I'm in the mental health field, a lot of times I think like uh, a mental health professional. And one of the um, things that I, I look at is, is basically the vision and what, what people see and how people respond, uh, perception, basically. And I spoke a lot about um, the things that I see as an African-American man, and then I flipped it around and, and I spoke a little bit on what others see of us as a whole, you know, the, the stereotypes and those kind of things and how it affects both ways. It's a two-way street. And then I looked at it, you know, again, I try to bring in the father piece to it uh, because that is important in our community and it should, you know, be looked at as something that can at least 
strengthen the foundation if we decide that we want to, as a people, begin to make better choices and more changes. But I did talk about the importance of fatherhood. So, um, you know, I I look at it as, like like a lot of the men said today, we we do have an issue in our community, and I think it it has a lot to do with uh, the need for reconditioning our minds because, you know, we, we, we have been conditioned over the years um, and it's more or less a crab in the barrel um, mindset where if somebody's going to make it, somebody's going to try to pull them right back down because, you know, we just can't get out of our own way. And that's how, you know, as far as community and you're looking at business and those kind of things, that's why black business does take it because we won't support our black businesses. We'll support some mm. other uh, business before we uh, support our, our own. Which, ready for Cunningham. Which is which is sad in a sense because again, like you guys were saying, we have so much power if we just just use it in the correct way and and come together and use it. I think we can accomplish a lot more. And, and a lot of the issues that we're now seeing, you know, people will start hearing us. So I, I think mm-hmm. the main piece is again we have to look within ourselves before anything can, can start happening. It's all about our mindsets. You know, it's, it's two things that you said um, just then that, that kind of uh, brought brought something to mind. One, when you were talking about the stereotypes, you know, how do we, I think sometimes we play into those stereotypes also, though, even though I know that, that it's, it's all over the media, all over TV and mm-hmm. everywhere else. Um, a lot of times we play into those and help to continue or perpetuate uh, exactly. the way that others see us as a group. And then the other thing that I, I thought about is when you talked about um, patronizing African-American businesses, there are some that would say that sometimes even when you make your best effort to do that, that the the type of service that you receive from those mm-hmm. businesses um, is yep. not up to par, you know, considering, you know, that you're paying your money for it. So, again, another opportunity for us to connect and rectify the situation. Yeah, I think it's a lot. it has a lot to do with, um, you know, again, I say it's a two-way street, you know. Uh, again, like I'm in the mental health field, for instance, and I work for agencies, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, as as an African American working for an African American agency, sometimes I see things that, you know, I might not necessarily see in, uh, you know, a non African American agency is how they run business, and sometimes we get a bad rep because of the bad business that we run. So I do agree with that in that, you know, again, do we in order for us to do better, we have to be better. So. And, and you know, and it's it's all about the quality that of what we do and put out. So it, it again, it is a two way street. You know, whether or not we are looking at the stereotypes of how people perceive us, or we're giving them a reason to perceive us that way. Because you know, a lot of times, some people do give an honest effort of not wanting to think because this person wears a, a baseball cap and some, some you know urban gear that he's a bad person. But they've run across so many people that have been, and it's, and it's unfortunate, you know, that we have to deal with that because, you know, sometimes I dress up, sometimes I dress down, but in any regards, I'm still going to be looked at as a thick black man that can be a danger in society. 
So, you know, and that and that's what we face with a lot of times, unfortunately. But um, you know, I I am one of those ones that can can deal with it, but what about those some those people who can't and they act on it, you know? So I do agree. Okay. Well well H and Troy, tell us how we can connect with you, please. Well, you can find me on Facebook, uh Hurley Morgan is my um on Facebook, but my um author page is under H M Trey. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn under Hurley Morgan. You can find me on uh, Instagram, HM underscore Trey. I do put, try to put a lot of inspirational um, uh, photos, photos and things up there. And I also can be found on Instagram under HM Trey as well. Well, we thank you so much for joining us here on tonight. Um, and hopefully have you back real soon. Okay, thank you. Thanks for having me. Have a nice one. Absolutely. So I believe that our last guest for tonight, I believe we have author Nicolette Hines on the line, and I believe there may be one other person, I believe Maurice Gray may be with us here on tonight, so we will um, we will speak to the two of them before we end the broadcast. Nicolette, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hello, Maurice, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, well, we'll go ahead and talk to Maurice right now until we until we work out our difficulties with Nicolette. Maurice, thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad I could be here. So, Maurice, tell us a little bit about what you contributed this time around to The Soul of a Man too. Well, this time is a little bit different. When we did the first The Soul of a Man, I, I got played to my strength and wrote a short story. This time, I decided to step into nonfiction, and that's totally out of my comfort zone. But my story is entitled Breathing Problems, and I took that from what happened with Eric Garner, his last word being, I can't breathe. That got me to thinking what a helpless feeling that is when you can't get enough air in your body. And next thing you know, I was like I was thinking about times in my life when I physically couldn't breathe. And then that made me think of the, think of the first time when, it, it sounds funny to say it this way, but when I actually learned that I was black. 